Thank you guys for being here this morning. As we do every Sunday, come together as the family of God to celebrate our risen Savior. What a joy it is to worship and know that we belong to the Savior, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is it not? What a blessing to live each and every day in that joyful resolution to know that He's going to bless us in ways that we can't possibly fathom. Uh, And we have the joy of spreading His story everywhere we go. Thanks for being here today to do just that as we come together as the family of God. To say, uh, again, thank you guests for being here today. If you're new to Cross Point, we're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's an honor that you've decided to be with us today. And of course, our hope would be that if you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to think about Cross Point as your church home. We'd like to invite you into telling that story with us. We've all made a decision to surrender our gift sets to say, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And we invite you into telling that story uh, as well. 
Uh, We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, and so I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there in just a moment to look at a story you probably have heard before, but I hope today we'll peel back a few layers uh, to see, see it afresh and something new as we continue our discussion about what it means to have a prayerful life. How impactful could prayers be on your life? And we realize and know that prayer accomplishes much, does it not? As we talk to God through Jesus Christ, listening to the Holy Spirit, God can do things in our lives that we never thought possible. He can bless us in so many incredible ways. Last week we talked about Psalm 139 where we ask God in a prayer, God search me, reveal my anxious moments, uncover my sin, but lead me in the path that you want me to go. I want to be your person. Create in me a heart that looks like yours. I want to be that kind of person. Uh, And so this week, we're going to dig into yet another prayer that's equally powerful, uh, but one that we may be a little afraid to pray. We're going to look at Isaiah's prayer this morning and hopefully uncover some reality for us in our life and how we can move in another direction that would bring a different level of power in our life. Some of you along the way, as I've been here, have asked um, how to pray, um, how do I personally pray. Uh, One of the things that I use at times is an acronym. Uh, I use ACTS, and I'll tell you what each one of those letters mean for me. Uh, On the back of your bulletin, there's a a, a blank thing you can fill. It's not blank. It's where you can fill the blanks in with the words I'm going to say today, as we do every Sunday. But turn that over and follow along with me if you would. Uh, As you pray, it's kind of a great way to put things in order of of preference, of priority. And I always want to start with A being adoration. How do I lift God up? How do I admire Him? How do I make sure that he knows I understand where he needs to be in the highest place? He's far above me uh, and can do so much more in my life than I could ever believe. And so I want to praise and adore him at the front end of that prayer. The second thing is confession. I want to make sure that I know where my place is, where God is involved. That I've fallen short of where he wants me to be, that I could be a better person. I could look more like Christ each and every day. And I want to get there. But there are moments when I let him down. There are moments when I need to confess sin in my life. The T is for thankfulness, uh, thanksgiving. How do I express my thankfulness to God for the blessings he's given me in life? And I like to list those off at times. And the S is uh, supplication. It's my moment to ask God for the things I'm looking for in my life. And it could be any number of things that I might want to ask for in that moment. I mean, if we were to be honest this morning, I mean, if you're like me, don't many times our prayers look selfish? It's the idea that I'm praying for myself, really. I want me to be blessed. I'm asking God to bless me. I'm asking God to bless my family, bless me at the job, help me get that pay increase. Lord, please help my football team, whatever it might be. (laughs) We're asking for God to help us in numerous ways selfishly. But what if, what if you and I, like Isaiah, made a decision in our life to ask this question, Lord, how can I help you? What can I do for you? What if we open the door to the possibilities by saying, God, not my plan, but your plan. Not what I want, but what you want. Not what's on my agenda, but God totally fully 
what you want for me in my life? What if we ask that question, Lord, what can I do for you? Lay that on my heart. Make it plain and clear to me what you want me to do, what you've called me to do. And the truth is, if we make ourselves available like that, God is going to bless us. Is he not? God is going to come into our life like a tidal wave and blow us away with what he will do and transform you in your life. We see story after story after story in God's word about how God does that. We look at a couple by the name of Abram and Sarah who lived in the land of Ur, but Abram heard God's voice and said, go to a land that I'm going to show you. It's a promised land where I'm going to make you a large nation. You're going to be my special people. They listened to that voice and they followed God and were blessed along the way. I think of the story of a a young shepherd boy by the name of David who rose to be the greatest king in Israel's history because he listened to the voice of God. He asked that question, what can I do for you, God? I think of a prophet, Jeremiah, who made a decision early on, he was going to be a businessman, he was going to be a farmer, and God said, no, I'm calling you to tell my story, to share my word. He said, no, I think I'm going to do this over here. And then ultimately, Jeremiah gave in to God and said, okay, God, I surrender. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to fulfill your story? I think about a young girl by the name of Mary who gave birth to our Savior, Jesus Christ, because she asked that question, what can I do for you, Lord? She was blessed in many ways. I think of a, of a man who ended up following Jesus, but then ran away at the last moment when Jesus needed him most, but was called back a guy by the name of Peter, who became a pillar and a rock in the church in Jerusalem. Story after story after story of men and women in our Bible who made a decision to ask this question, Lord, What can I do for you? It's not about me. It's about you. And when they made a decision to live life like that, they were blessed in incredible ways. You and I are going to dig into this prayer this morning and discover where we fall on the spectrum and maybe how we can have a little different prayer life based upon what we find in Isaiah. There are three different people I think we could probably fall into the category of when we're thinking about when God calls us, how we answer that. I've told my Jonah story before, and I won't do that this morning, but certainly one of those characters is Jonah, who ended up saying, Lord, here I am. I ain't going. I'm not going to do it. You can send somebody else, but I'm not the guy for you. I'm not going to be the person who does what you've called me to do. I'm right here. I see what you're talking about, but I'm not going. I'm not going to be that person. You take a look in our story in Jonah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. How many have done that before? I'm the only one, I guess. Okay. I feel all alone up here. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord. Jonah said, I'm right here, but I am not going. We end up sometimes answering God like that, don't we? I've got a different plan. I've got a different agenda. I've got something going on. And God, come back and see me next week. 
Maybe see me next year. I might be available for you then at, at that time. There are moments in our life where we were supposed to help someone out and we didn't show up. Some, some point in time when we were supposed to serve in a ministry of some kind to help someone out. We were supposed to have that conversation about someone's life and it was too uncomfortable so we decided not to do it. You and I could have been difference makers in those moments of time, but we chose not to listen to God. We said, I'm not going. Or the very popular story in Exodus chapter 3 of a guy by the name of Moses. Moses said, here I am, God, but send somebody else. I'm sure someone else can do a better job than I can. Most of us know Moses was an Israelite who was raised in Pharaoh's court. When he uh, then had an altercation with one of the Egyptians, after he discovered he was an Israelite, he killed the Egyptian. Someone saw him do it, and so he ran away to a foreign land, an area called Midian. He lived there for 40 years, served as a shepherd. And one day he's out with his flock, and he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up, and he's curious. And so he walks over to discover he is dead on in a conversation with God himself. And in verse 9 of chapter 3, God says, Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Sound familiar? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Lord, here I am, but send somebody else. I'm not the right guy for the job. I didn't sign up for this. I've got a different agenda. I've got all these sheep to take care of. I don't have time to go to Egypt. You and I may have had those moments before when I'm going to do some kind of church work and so I can't stop to help somebody out. You had those moments? See somebody broke down on the side of the road and you'd like to help, but I'm on my way to fill in the blank. God would really want me to be on time rather than help these people. I've had that moment before. There are moments in our life when we think, you know, she's a stay-at-home mom. She's got all the time in the world. Let her go and do that ministry. They've got much more money in the bank than I've got. Let, let them take care of that ministry. Let them fund that missionary. They've got much more experience than I do. They should be the ones that help out in the ministry. They should be the ones that go to the neighborhood to help down at the soup kitchen. Not me. Send someone else, God. I am here. But it's not me. Send somebody else. Or we could be like Isaiah in our story today who stands up and says in a prayer, here am I, send me. God, whatever it means, whatever it costs, I'm your person. I want to pray that prayer, church, today. That we would start today by making this our mantra that we would say, God, I am your person for life. For all that you've done for me, help me be your person. Before we get to our text, though, I want to set up the historical value of where we're at right now with Isaiah. He was working in the time of King Uzziah in the land of Judah. Uzziah died in about 740 B.C. There were uh, two nations that uh, made a decision to break away from the world's superpower at the time. The Assyrians were this great conquering nation. 
they were tough. It's where Nineveh was actually located that Jonah was actually, actually told to go and talk to. But Israel, the northern ten tribes, and the country of Syria asked Judah, the, the southern two tribes of Israel, to come in with them to go up against Assyria, to attack Assyria, to break away. We want to be our own people. We don't want to answer to the world superpower anymore. And Judah said, we don't want anything to do with that. Well, Israel and Syria were not happy, and so they began to attack Judah because they wanted to bully them into coming in with them as an ally. So Judah says, hey, Assyria, help us out here. Um, these people are attacking us, and we, we don't think that we should go to war against you, so come down and help us out. And so Assyria did just that. They decimated Syria and Israel, taking all the Israelites into captivity, never heard from Israel again, but there was a price to be paid. For their help, there was heavy taxation of Judah. Now, Isaiah begins his real prophetic work with King Uzziah, but he's also active during the reigns of King Ahaz and King Hezekiah. You can read about this whole uh, moment when Assyria comes down to attack Jerusalem, to attack Judah in 2 Kings chapter, chapter 18 and 19. It's very interesting for those that like history. I love history. I don't know if you could tell that. I like history. But there's a moment in 701 when Assyria comes down to attack Jerusalem because Judah said, we're not paying the taxes anymore. This is ridiculous. We're not going to owe you anything anymore. And they said, oh yeah, you're going to pay the taxes. And they came down and began to attack. And we begin to see Isaiah at some of his work in that moment. This is the type of world that Isaiah lives in. One where he says, whatever's going on out there in the world, God, I don't care. I'm your man. Here am I. Send me. Let's read our text in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim each having six wings. Now, I want to stop there just for a moment because we tend to think of angelic beings as these cute babies that fly around with wings. Seraphim, translated out of the Hebrew, is actually a snake with wings that is on fire. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd hide in a corner if I saw one of those things. He goes on, With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among the people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Wow. There are scholars that say this piece of Scripture is one of the true representations of what worship really does look like. If you look in the context of what's going on, Isaiah is petrified. 
He's in the presence of God Almighty. He sees God for everything that he is, and he realizes how small he is in the awesomeness presence of God. He says, I'm ruined. I'm done for. It's all over. In that moment, he's fearful of who God is. He sees God, and yet in the same moment, he turns and says, can I be a part of your story? Send me. I'll be the guy. True worship where you realize how magnificent God truly is, how fearful one should be in his presence and yet still wanting to be a part of what he is doing in the world. Now, notice that Isaiah didn't say, okay, God, uh, what's the weather like where we're going? He didn't say, what's the pay stub look like? How many vacation weeks do I get? Should I take my swimsuit or a parka? What's the people like where I'm going? He didn't ask any of those questions. It was a blank contract. He simply said, sign me up. I'm your man. I want to be part of your story. Whatever that means, I want to be there. It's an interesting prospect that we would come into the presence of God and be able to openly say, hey, I want to be a part of your story. Every day on the way to work, I try to every day on the way to work that I say this prayer, God, give me your eyes so I can see the world as you see it. God, give me your ears so I can be a listening post for you. Give me your mouth so I can sing praises to you but also lift others up and encourage them. Give me your hands and your feet so that I may serve those around me as Jesus would serve. Give me your heart so I can beat in time with your heart. I want to be your man. What if each one of us made a decision in life to do just that? What if, what if we step forward and say, Lord, what can I do for you? How can I be your person? How can I walk with you? But how do we get there, you and I? How do we get to the point in our life where we are willing to surrender everything, where we're willing to walk with the cadence that God lays down for us, to say, not my world, but your world, not my agenda, but your agenda, not my kingdom, God, but your kingdom, whatever that means. Three things, I think, that we can pull from our story this morning, and one is that you and I need a genuine experience of the presence of God. You and I have to be In the presence of God, we have to place ourselves where God is around us and with us all the time. Isaiah says in verse 1, I was in the throne room of God. He was sitting on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Angelic beings on all sides singing, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. And not God, but their own voices are shaking the foundation of the building. Can you imagine what Isaiah was experiencing emotionally in that moment? Why might you and I not be able to be available for God to experience His presence? There may have been moments in your life where you think, I thought I felt some presence there, and maybe other times when I've never felt that presence. How many of you have been to church camp before? Raise your hand. Summer camp. Yeah, right after that, right? It's like you, you drank 100 Red Bulls. You're ready to go, right? 
Bring on Satan. I got him right now, right here. And then two weeks later, we got to get back to some normalcy. There are moments in our life where we felt the presence of God. Maybe it's out in nature. You're hiking or you're camping. And you just sense the presence of God in his creation. Those moments happen differently for each one of us. But we've got to make time for that in our life, don't we? We're so busy as a people. You have to create some margin. I remember the first church I worked at in Oklahoma. I was struggling with where I had been in my past life and the calling into ministry. And is this something I should keep doing? And I'm not sure if I'm uh, doing what I'm called to do. And it was a real struggle for many, many weeks I had the opportunity to go to a couple of different churches and I was struggling with that whole scenario. Do I leave this town? Do I stay in church work? Do I go back to secular? What is it that I need to do, God? And it was weighing heavily on me. And I remember distinctly, it was about 20 years ago, I had a dream overnight where I had a conversation with a man in this dream. It was on the deck of the house that we lived in. And I remember we talked through all of these different things that I was struggling with. And at the end of the conversation, he said very succinctly, he said, do you believe that you're forgiven? And I said, absolutely. Do you think God's called you into ministry? I said, I believe he has. And he says, then what is the hold up? And I woke up. I thought, wow. I don't know what that was, but I feel that God was reminding me, whatever you think is the issue, remember Isaiah. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, we can... We can leave our past behind. We can move forward in what he's called us into, whatever that might be. And so I want to encourage you this morning that, that you create margin and space in your life. Do an inventory for yourself. When was the last time that you made conscious effort to create some space in your life to feel the presence of God? There are moments like we have this morning where as we sing and as we fellowship together, as we gather around the Lord's table, we can feel the presence of God in this place. There are moments when you're involved in ministry. There are moments when you are serving others in a soup kitchen line or painting a house or helping your neighbor and you feel productive and part of God's plan because you are serving, you are using your talent for his glory. Create the margin and space in your life to feel his presence. But like Isaiah, we also need to have a genuine awareness of our sinfulness, don't we? As you look at the story and realize that Isaiah, in the moment, he looks at his own sinfulness as we do and realize how small he truly was. And we fall into the the point as we become aware of our sinfulness, that we we fall into the lie of being a good person. Well, I I, I go to church, I go to worship, I read my Bible when I can, I've got a prayer life going on, I I give when I can, I go to at least one ministry event a year, I've got it all together. I'm, I'm not like that person over there or over there. But the truth is, for you and I, That without Christ, you and I are hopeless. There's no amount of good that you and I could do to make ourselves right with God. It's going to take Jesus Christ in your life to get that right. What he did on the cross for us. And that empty tomb is the promise of a better life. It is only Christ that makes you new. 
It is only He that recreates us within each one of ourselves. And when Isaiah saw the goodness of God and he realized his unrighteousness, he realized the chasm between worthy and unworthy. He was on his face. I am ruined. I'm in the presence of God. But understand that the only thing that gets worthy to where unworthy meets is Jesus Christ. He makes us righteous. He makes us worthy. We can bask in the joy of knowing that we have a Savior who loves us, who went to full measure for us because He loves us so very much. And finally, we've got to have a genuine understanding of God's grace like Isaiah did. In verse 6 in our story, we're reminded that Isaiah's sin was atoned for when he confessed that sin, when he recognized that sin. His guilt is gone with one touch of God's goodness. Isaiah is made worthy. With one drop of Jesus Christ's blood, you and I are made worthy, not because of anything we've done or said, but because of everything that Christ did for us. We get to experience God's grace as well. If you've got anger issues, you're forgiven. If you've got an issue with, with pride, you're forgiven. If you've got lustful thoughts, you're forgiven. If you've got, got an issue with selfishness, you're forgiven. Everything goes away with Christ and his blood. We get to experience the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. I think the psalmist said it best in Psalm 103, beginning of verse 10, when he says, God does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Hallelujah, church. He has removed from us anything that keeps us out of the presence of God. What a joy to serve that kind of God who loves us so deeply. His grace transforms darkness into light, unworthiness into sanctified righteousness. You see, we don't bring anything to the table. God brings everything that we need to be right before Him. We get to say, like Isaiah, here am I. Send me. And we, don't, we don't come half-hearted or, or begrudgingly into this type of life. We sign up to be disciples of Jesus Christ because we get to live and bask in the gloriness, glor- gloriousness of God to understand that we have been healed. I get to serve Him. I get to live for Him. I get to live like Him. He has given me a new day to bring Him glory and joy. He has created within me a new heart. He has cleansed me from everything. I get to serve others. I get to encourage others. I get to enjoy His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy, His love. And this prayer is not a one-time prayer, church. It is a daily prayer because the minute you sign on to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, there is a battle that begins within you. It's the battle of flesh and spirit. And that fleshly part of the battle 
is my own selfishness, my desire to make my life, my agenda, my goals, what I want out of life. But the other part is the spirit, which is God-mindedness. That I want to be everything God's created me to be. I want to look like Jesus Christ. And so we end up feeding that spirit by coming together in worship moments like this. We feed that spirit by being a part of a connect group where we can build relationship one with another and dig into the word of God. We feed that spirit by being a part of service as we work amongst the community in which we live and love people like Jesus would love people. Like Paul, we say, I die daily to that selfish moment. As he said in Galatians chapter 2, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's what Paul said. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to live a life that gives him glory. I want to surrender to him. I want to ask the question, Lord, how can I serve you? How can I help you? But why don't, why don't Jesus' followers pray this prayer more often? Maybe it's just you've never thought of it before. It's just not been on the radar. You've not thought about it like Isaiah saying, here am I, send me, not my agenda, but your agenda. God, what is it you want me to do? How can I serve you? Maybe for some of us, it's that we're afraid because we know a powerful prayer like this will bring change. It will bring blessing as well. Sometimes we fear, man, if I pray this prayer, I might get shipped off to Africa. I don't know about that. Living in a grass hut. I kind of like my comfort zone here. It's probably not going to be that. It could be that. But it's more likely going to be a call to your workstation, to your coworker, to your next-door neighbor, to your family member, to your friends, to serve in ways maybe that have been uncomfortable for you in the past. That's how God is going to continue to call us into his story. This is a powerful prayer, church. Will you begin praying it today? Will you start by saying, God, search me, make me your person, show me my anxious thoughts, help me be the guy, the girl that you've called me to be, create in me a heart that looks like Jesus, uncover my sin, lead me in the way that you want me to be led, show me, make that clear to me, God, here am I, send me. This morning, I probably saw these two frames over on each side of the auditorium. I'm going to call the praise team back to the stage at this time. And as we sing this song, I'm going to encourage you to think about how God is calling you. And are you willing to say, yes, God, send me? There are pens and post-it notes on those tables, and I want to encourage you to to write on a post-it note, maybe somebody's name that you feel heavy on your heart. God's calling me to speak with this person. God's calling me to build a relationship with this person. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's the crossing guard in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a ministry that you feel he's calling you into. But write whatever you feel on that paper. Post it in between uh, the frame on the wall. God is calling you. Are you listening? That's the question we wrestle with today. Ultimately, I don't want to be the guy that says, 
God, send somebody else. God, I'm not going. I want to be the guy that says, here am I, send me. Let's stand and sing together.